In the summer of my 17th birthday, I was given a gift of being able to come from New York to Colorado and Utah and do one of those month-long wilderness experiences. And part of that was a six-day kayak trip down the Green River in Desolation Canyon. So the first uh, day, not much happened. It's calm water. Second day, they take us out to scout the rapids, and they say, see how the river goes directly up to the canyon wall? Don't get into that current and be swept up against the wall because your boat will get wrapped around you, and it's just not pretty. Of course, we get in our boats, and somehow I get swept up in the current that's heading right to the canyon wall, and the leader comes over and says something to me that you can't say in church about how hard I should be paddling the other way. The next day, we scout another set of rapids, high class threes for any of you who know these things, and this was only my third day in a kayak. Please stay away from the whirlpool. Okay course not so much get trapped in the whirlpool spinning around the boat goes one way the paddle goes the other way I can't tell which is the surface but I'm still here I think perhaps the uh, river running and kayaking and that experience might be what Paul is talking about when he says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling Salvation is like the river. This salvation is always flowing. It's always about a destination of wholeness and healing and shalom. Everyone has what they need. That's salvation. But how we get there, that's the question, right? One way or another, we're all going to end up down the river. And we have a choice of whether to participate or not in the current and the flow of God's salvation for us and for the world. So the question that arises for me today, this week, is how do we get there without hitting the canyon wall or flipping over in the whirlpool? That's probably unavoidable at times, like my experience and also my experience in life, and I'm sure yours as well. But Paul gives us some ideas in his letter to the Philippians which, by the way, Paul wrote while he was in prison. So first of all, Paul is writing to this group of people that he really loves. He says in the first chapter that every time I think of you, I give thanks to you in my prayers. And he says, thank you for your partnership in the gospel. It's a lovely phrase. But then he moves on into our text and he says, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation in love, any sharing or fellowship in the Spirit, if, small word, several Greek words to, are used for the word if. The one that we're most used to, I think, is if A, then B, kind of a conditional. That's not this word. This word is the indicative. It assumes the reality of the conditions that he is describing. So a better translation might be, since there is encouragement in this love, since there is consolation, since there is fellowship in the Spirit. 
make my joy complete. Run the river to the end, if you will. This is their reality. This is our reality. This is who you are and I am as believers, as followers of Jesus. As we work out our salvation, we are remembering, we are calling to mind our reality, who we are in Christ. We are loved. We are part of a beloved community. We are part of the Jesus movement that our bishop, presiding bishop, Michael Curry, talks about and we heard about in the Dean's Forum and we'll be hearing about in the next couple of weeks there. This is who you are. And Paul is saying, be who you are. Be who you are, beloved children of God. I've been told, and it's probably true, and you'll see as you live into life with uh, Richard and Katie and Broderick, that most of us have one or two sermons that we preach over and over again in different ways. So my little sermonette is this, that I preach over and over, mostly to myself, but I'll share. You and I are God's beloved, beloved children. You know, when Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened, the dove came, the spirit came, the voice said, you are my beloved son. On you, my favor rests. I love that because you know what? Jesus hadn't done anything that we know of except get lost when he was about 13 and caused his parents a bunch of turmoil and stress. But we don't know anything else. We haven't seen him preach a sermon. Nobody's had an altar call. Nobody's been healed. No demons have been cast out. And he is God's beloved son. And we share in his baptism. And God says the same thing to us. You are my beloved sons and daughters. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. This is your reality. Then, once we get that, we can move from the indicative, little grammar, to the imperative. But we can't really move into the imperative in an effective way, I think, if we don't get the indicative. So we are absolutely grounded in God's love, and then we are to lay aside selfish ambition, conceit, and inhumility, regard others as better than ourselves. It's a lot easier to do that if we know we're beloved. And humility, it's not, it's not a worm contest. I'm worse than you are. I'm such a wretch. It's not that. It's understanding, looking at ourselves with sober judgment, not too high, not too low. Accurate understanding of who we are. And so as we live this imperative that Jesus invites us to, then there's this verse that, that hooks this, this paragraph about who we are and what we do with this lovely first century hymn that I think or poem that Paul is quoting with this line. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Or a different translation, let the same mind be in you that you have in Christ Jesus. So it gives us two ways of looking at this. David Bartlett, a New Testament scholar, says we have one way is a Christian ethic of imitation, do what Jesus did, or a Christian ethic of participation. Be who you are. 
Guess, you're guessing I prefer the second, the ethic of participation. Be who we already are in Christ Jesus. And could it be, as this hymn says, that the beginning and end of the essence of God and of Jesus and of who we are is what we say is kenosis, this self-emptying. Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped or exploited, as our text says, but he emptied himself. William Greenway, in one of his commentaries, says this, and I love this, if a single image could capture the character of God in the first creation account, it would be a gracious bow. All of God's acts and blessings and delights in creating are for others. In the Hebrew scriptures, this is typical of God, who is intimately concerned with justice, peace, and the flourishing of all creatures. God who is on high, but never remote. God who is over all, but faithfully and dramatically invested in life on earth. In the very act of creating and in relationship to all creatures and creations, the Hebrew witness is to a God who is essentially canonic, self-emptying. God does not exploit God's power or embrace hierarchy or rest in privileged autonomy. God is love, says Greenway. And I think we see that most stunningly affirmed in the incarnation, in the self-emptying of God in Jesus. And this is who we are. And this hymn shows how for Jesus this is played out. Jesus participates in what God is doing in the world, and we are invited to do the same. It's the pattern. Life, incarnation, this death or self-emptying, and resurrection. It's our pattern. It's a way of life. But when humility and kenosis or self-emptying hit real life, for Jesus it meant death. For Paul, it meant prison. For each of us, God only knows. But God does know. And as we pay attention, we will discover where the river will lead. We will work out our salvation with fear and trembling. One of my favorite new saints is a gentleman named Episcopal priest, Father Hiram Hisonori Kano. And Father Kano's in our new book of saints. It's called A, Great, a Cloud of Witnesses. And when Father Kano was a teenager in Japan, he got very ill. He knew nothing about Jesus. And he was in the hospital, and he tells the story that he heard the doctors telling his parents that he was going to die and they should say goodbye to their son. And Jesus appeared to him in a vision and said, Not yet. And, of course, he, he uh, healed and survived and uh, came to the United States and uh, settled in Nebraska. He wanted to do agriculture, and Bishop Beecher twice asked him to consider being an Episcopal priest. And so he did, and he worked in Mitchell and some other places in Nebraska. There was a huge Japanese Episcopal community in Nebraska. And uh, after Pearl Harbor and the beginning of World War II, Father Kano had done a Sunday service. His wife and kids were at home. He was at a different church, came out of the church, and he was arrested. 
And he spent two or three years in internment camps. Didn't even, his kids and wife, the kids were in junior high, elementary, didn't know where he was. I know his daughter, she uh, was uh, part of the parish I served for seven years in Fort Collins. She's still there. But here's the thing about Father Cano. Here's his self-emptying. Here he is in prison with other Japanese folk, people of Japanese descent, other German folk of German descent, and all these American prison guards. And what did he do? He had a ministry to all of them. He worshipped with them. He cared for them. He prayed for them. He self-emptied in his situation in the river of salvation that God thrust him in and made a difference and participated. I hope we don't have his experience or Jesus' experience or Paul's experiences, but we all have opportunities, I think almost daily, to act with humility, to not regard others as better, ourselves as better than others. And here's the cool part at the end of the passage where Paul says, after he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for God's good pleasure. We are not on our own. God is at work within us. We have the mind of Christ, and there is joy in the work. So grab your metaphorical paddles and kayaks and life jackets and jump into the river and participate. It's going to be a wild ride, but in the end... It is God who is at work in us, both to will and to work for God's good pleasure and the salvation of the world. Amen.